0: come back this is Kimberly Moffitt filling in for Mark Steiner this morning on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, during our roundtable this morning, we have three guests that are joining us to talk about what's happening in our national news. So I have on the phone Dr. Ann McCarthy, who is the dean of the business school at Hamline University in Minneapolis, and, um, and also a former Republican candidate for comptroller of Maryland. Good morning. Good morning. And I also have on the phone Bill Fletcher Jr., who is senior scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies, editorial board member for Black Commentator.com, and also co author of The Indispensable Ally Black Workers and the Formation of Congress of Industrial Organizations, 1934 to 1941, and author of They're Bankrupting Us and 20 Other Myths About Unions. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. And um, sharing the studio space with me is Professor E.R. Shipp, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and journalist in residence, as well as associate professor of journalism here at Morgan State University. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all so much for being here and uh, bearing with me for not having the eminent Mark Steiner at the table. <laughs> um, I greatly appreciate it. But there is a still so much for us to talk about um, at the national level of what's happening In the country, or what's happened in reference to our country, even abroad. And um, even before the show began, Professor Ship and I were having a conversation about what feels like um, the creation of a royal family running our country. And I thought we would start there just for some general feedback to that simple statement. Do we actually have a royal family running our country right now? Dr. McCarthy.
1: No, they would have to be acting in a royal sense to be a royal family, which they're clearly not. I would say we have more a uh, family that's full of, uh, what's the word when you hire your own family? Oh, nepotism. Nepotism. We have a family, a nepotistic family at the head of our country.
2: But they have royal ambitions. I think that was the whole thing. They are pretenders um, to the throne. Um, you see that in just the way some members of the family carry themselves. Now, this story that broke over the weekend where Donald Trump Jr. took it upon himself to meet with a Russian who might have some information uh, that was negative about Hillary Hillary's Clinton. Hillary's campaign. Now, yes. Donald Trump Jr. has no real function in life other than to be his father's son <laughs> and maybe to run the real estate company. But he thought that if dad is on his way to being king then he (laughs) as prince should be stepping up too you know and then you see the same thing with Ivanka sitting in on various meetings for which she is not qualified and Uh, I guess she does have some kind of security clearance now, but it doesn't make any sense for her to be in places where we find her. So I think that was what we said. It's their attitude that they, as a family unit, can do what they want to do in furtherance of their goals, and the rest of us be damned. Forget policy, forget tradition. They are going to do what they want to do.
3: I think that the word that everyone is looking for is imperious. (laughs) Mm -hmm. power authority without justification arrogant and domineering Mm. and i think that there's no better word that summarizes the this administration its attitude its uh... its contempt for protocol and it's contempt for the truth and and it's remarkable that in the twenty sixteen campaign this uh... individual could have made so much out of (coughs) the allegations of corruption on the part of Hillary Clinton, and you look at what this administration is doing, and it is, it's remarkable. And yet, the Republicans, by and large, are accepting it.
0: Yeah, and Bill, you raise a key point, and, and we'll come back to the news stories, but I do want to follow up on, on this piece. What is it that you think has made this seemingly so much more acceptable than any other point in the history of our country?
3: That he's a white man. Well,
0: we've had white men, uh, many a white man before. <laughs> no,
3: but but you see, he's a white man that follows the gotcha. presidency of a black man.
0: Gotcha. I mean,
3: see, the thing that I that I keep uh, uh, that I reiterate is that the support that Trump holds on to uh, is to a great extent based on his supporters being convinced that he reversed the greatest mistake in U.S. history, right, that the election of a black president. So they're prepared to tolerate this nonsense. At any expense and cost. Almost any expense. I think that there will be limits. But up until now, yeah, exactly.
2: I think that's true, too. It's that um, I think with the election of Obama, it became very clear to people who maybe had not been reading various studies about demographics and various kinds of trends. It became very real to them that whiteness is on the decline. Yes. And so in Trump, they saw an opportunity to reclaim the the superiority of whiteness is the best way to put that, I suppose.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think it's more complex than that. First of all, it paints Trump supporters with a broad brush. And those of you in Baltimore know that there was a famous, or re- relatively, you know, um, went viral nationally, the article by the Muslim woman who voted for Trump because she was afraid of terrorism. And there are white women who voted for Trump, ignoring all of his heinous behavior because he was anti-abortion. So I think Trump taps into single-issue voters that hold their nose around certain things and vote for him because of one single issue. Now, I agree with you that the core of his base is exactly who you're talking about. And then the fringe of his base are those people who I think are beginning to be turned away from him, which is why his poll numbers are slipping except for the very core of his original base.
0: So let's go back to the news story. And I also want to say something.
1: I recently learned that, and, you know, I'm proud of living in Minnesota. I was proud of living in Maryland. But Mm -hmm. Minnesota and Maryland share the common uh, approach of being, I think, progressive states. And I learned the other day that 25% of Minnesotans don't believe a woman should ever be president. And that number goes up to 55% in Texas. So as much as we think that uh, there is a core that voted Trump in as a response to President Obama being the first African American president, we also have a core group in the United States that don't will never vote for a woman. So it was a two. It was kind of a twofer um, in terms of rejecting Hillary as the first female president, possible first female president. And there
2: were probably quite a few blacks who rejected Hillary because she was a woman also. So it it gets very complicated when we throw in the gender factor. But the race factor cannot be minimized here, I think. We see that even when we see the Ku Klux Klan Mm, now being all riled up because of the, now that various Confederate touchstones are being removed from public spaces, They are feeling a little discombobulated. They also are the types of people who rallied around Trump and saw him as their savior also. So we're seeing them coming forth now more boldly. But fortunately, we're also seeing resistance Mm -hmm. uh, to some of their activity, as we recently saw in Virginia. Right.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's go back to this um, Donald Trump Jr. story, where apparently, um, during the 2016 campaign, he did meet with a Russian lawyer who said that uh, she had information that could be harmful to the Hillary Clinton campaign, and even Hillary Clinton herself, and so he decided to hold this particular meeting. What do we see as being problematic with that um, in, in his capacity as the son of um, a presidential candidate meeting with someone abroad, in particular Russia? Bill?
3: I think that what we keep seeing are all of these, you know, there's this term uh, appearance of impropriety. And, and I think that what we keep seeing in connection with the Trump campaign and, uh, and what happened in 2016. Is this appearance of impropriety, the 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 issue of uh, whether it was Flynn's, uh, you know, General Flynn's uh, interactions with the Russians, whether it's this, these are dealings that should never have happened, uh, and they are dealings that that Trump himself continues to either uh, deny or uh, or avoid, and and I think that. There were these connections, uh, you know, with the with the Russians, and 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 it's amazing when I look at the the postscripts to the postmortems to the discussions that took place between Putin and Trump, and Trump basically walking away saying that he's convinced that uh, that Putin was was sincere and let's just move on. Again, it's trying to move away from mm-hmm. something that. Virtually every intelligence agency has indicated was a serious problem. And common sense should say that at a minimum, you should just shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that when, when
2: you're used to traveling in certain circles, I think it doesn't occur to you that now that you're talking about politics at the highest level in the country, that you have to change your behavior a little bit. I remember the first time I had a social interaction with Donald Trump was many years ago in New York. And because of the person I was with, who was another power player in the city, he treated me as if he knew me. You know, the whole glad-handing, how you doing, kind of, you know, so as if I were part of the circle. I could see that this is the way they just carry on when they're among their crowd. So they probably thought they're still among their crowd, and no matter what, they can still do this. So he could meet Donald Jr. can meet with Russians and talk uh, uh, government policy or political strategy with them because they're part of their circle. They can do these things. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, carrying over into the um, administration today. So it's not only that, though, that kind of behavior that you can say, well, maybe they didn't realize because they're not really political and they didn't really realize you have to change your behaviors. Um, But having said that, Now that they're in office, they still aren't seeming to make those kinds of adjustments that you would want to see making a separation between their personal interests, their social world, and governmental interests. And even worse is that they lie when someone asks them about it. So Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting, first of all, just came to light when the New York Times reported on it over the weekend on Saturday, I guess. He gave one version of the meeting, that uh, he didn't know who had set it up. It was just a casual kind of conversation about the adoption policy. Then when the Times approached him because they had gotten more information, on Sunday, the next day, he came out with another lengthier and more elaborate statement that said he knew who had set it up, someone they had met while Uh, handling the Miss Universe pageant in Moscow so he knew the person involved and that it had a particular reason. It was to tell him some information that was damning to Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. So if they would tell the truth sometimes they would not get in as much trouble because it leaves them open for us speculating as we are now as to what really is the truth here
0: Well, it certainly raises whether or not lying can um, possibly be hereditary since um, his dad does so much of it and then we see the same thing happening with his son trying to finesse mm. ways of um, getting out of situations that he's actually put himself in um, Very, very tangentially related I want to uh, raise the story also that seemed to garner a lot of media traction around Ivanka Trump sitting at the uh, G20 summit table during some of the meetings where her father had to step out and meet with other world leaders. And I'm very curious to hear from you, Dr. McCarthy, like how you e- responded to hearing about her presence at the table.
1: So um, the reason uh, he hasn't been able to appoint any of his family a cabinet position is because John F. Kennedy appointed Robert F. Kennedy to be attorney general. And after that happened, we put in a law that prohibited that. I think we need to look at, Congress needs to look at another sort of law that prohibits this kind of behavior on the part of any current um, presidential family or any future presidential family, because they are behaving like a real estate mogul company. (laughs) Really, most real estate, big real estate companies involve the family, the child takes over from the parent, like the Kushners, is a great example, another great example, and my grandmother used to have a saying, you put a donkey on the train in New York, and when it gets to Florida, it's still a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't expect somebody who's 70-some years of age to suddenly change because he's the president of the United States. Leopards don't change their spots.
2: But the laws are yeah. supposed to be the thing that keeps him in check. Right? Correct,
1: and there's no current law to, do, to prohibit his be. He is skirting the law. Yes. Right now. And we need to do something about that, in my opinion.
0: Well, and I think what's interesting is oftentimes, even if there wasn't a law um, by simple precedent that had been set um, in our national office, as well as tradition, that most presidents stayed within the realm of what they should do in order to avoid that kind of pushback. However, um, we are dealing with a person who's willing to push that, those boundaries mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do, regardless of how it's been done in the past, especially if there isn't any way to say I am doing something illegal.
1: Right? See, that's what's,
3: what's very weird about this. Actually, I think that this story is much more important than people have been giving it credit for. Uh, Because here you have a very open breach of protocol. Anybody that is ever engaged in negotiations, and I used to regularly do collective bargaining negotiations for unions, knows that who is at the table is pivotal in terms of whether whether the negotiations will be taken seriously or whether they will be taken as an insult. And when the the chief uh executive officer of an organization removes themselves from the table and puts in their place someone who has no experience in that particular matter, no ranking, no full authority, essentially what that chief executive officer is saying is that this is of no consequence, and I do not really care that I'm wasting everyone else's time. That, that to me, is what's very substantive about, mm-hmm. about this incident, and why it is, you know, regardless of the law, if you're talking about the relationship of among nations, right now, Europe is furious. Um, the Chinese are furious, others are furious, because they feel correctly that they've been insulted. And that does not lend itself uh, for uh, good developments in the future.
2: And that's just one way I guess they could see that they've been insulted and are being insulted. Just see the attitude that the president has towards the climate change treaty. He, despite all the years of negotiation, all the various uh, pieces that have been put into place to accommodate the interests of the various nations involved, he, Donald Trump, says, forget about it. It's I want to do something different. So he's basically telling all of them that they don't matter, that he is the only mind at work, if we can call it that, uh, that that is important right now.
0: At which I wonder I, if that um, leads us to um, the consistency of some of his earlier stances, ex- especially as a presidential candidate, where it sounded as though he was moving to an isolationist um, way or paradigm of how to operate the U.S. instead of actually working collaboratively with other nations. And you wanted to say something.
1: I, I was going to agree, agree- with both Professor Shippen and, uh, and Bill that um, my biggest question, and this is, I think, undecided yet, is how much the world, the countries of the world and the people of the world are going to see this just as one person's poor behavior and our stupidity for electing him, but, <laughs> uh, or how much of it is going to ripple out in terms of their concept of Americans in general. And I, and I don't know that there's the answer to that yet. At some point, they may just say, we all lost our collective sense, and this guy got in for four years, and everybody makes a mistake, and we forgive him, and he's just an idiot. Or they might think, you know, Americans have just lost their way, when I think that there are, you know, good, Amer- good, good citizens in this country who right now just don't have a president that represents us.
2: That's true. Even though the president and his uh, those who speak for him, like the vice president, keep insisting that he was elected overwhelmingly by the American people, I think I heard Pence say something like that over the weekend yeah, so. too. But you know what's interesting, though, <laughs> false is,
1: news on all sides. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's
2: what's um, interesting, though, is that other in other countries we're seeing the kind of nationalistic movements that are uh, similar to what President Trump appeal to in his campaign. So it may not just be this is one kooky guy who managed to be elected. He might, unfortunately, be the start of something more dark.
3: Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's definitely not uh, in isolation. I mean, this rise of right-wing populism uh, is in part a response, a very reactionary response, to the impact of globalization, neoliberal globalization. And uh, Trump certainly has been addressing that in a very backward way but it's also a response to changing global demographics and so you'll ha- i mean this is one of the things that also is not discussed with regard to trump and putin that they are the ideological godfathers of right wing populist movements around the world they have a certain kind of camaraderie and this has nothing to do with whether the uh, Russians hacked the elections. This is something broader than that, and in some ways deeper than that.
1: Yes, I wish we would get off of this rush, whether or not Russians hacked the election. Unless there's proof that they actually worked the polls in some way. We should be looking forward to the next election and making sure we have secure elections in 2018 than worrying about the past. Let Robert Mueller do his job, and let's start looking forward, because the Russians are accomplishing what they set out to do, which is throw us into a tizzy and take our eye off the ball. And they're winning, because the more we talk about this, the more they win.
0: So, let's talk about that very briefly before we go to break. Um, what about this uh, uh, this meeting that happened between uh, both Trump and Putin and Trump coming out of it and initially saying one thing in terms of what well, initially
2: was... saying nothing. <laughs>
0: Um, I I mean, I've lost track of, of what has been said and what has been the goal of that particular meeting, but I'm wondering how do you think, because it was a meeting that many Americans were looking forward to, to find out how Trump was going to handle this situation. How do we think that was dealt with and certainly what was gained from it after the multiple tweets that have told us what transpired in that meeting?
1: I defer to my fellow guests, because I'm confused. <laughs> I think that's the
2: answer here, right? <laughs> Initially, the president refused to say anything. Because so it was he a left a private it,
0: meeting oh, between two le- world leaders. As
2: if we can have <laughs> private meetings between world leaders, with all the cameras and everybody there. But, but uh, the Secretary of State made a statement. Uh, saying that the president had been very forceful in in his uh, meeting with uh, Putin and blah, blah, blah. Uh, But the Russians came out saying that President Trump had uh, eagerly agreed with Putin that they should move ahead and, you know, not uh, think about what went on back in uh, the 16 election, so then apparently <laughs> President Trump came back with something over the weekend. Yes, but he, um, I, I uh, really love something that Charles Blow said in his current column about all of this. Our uh, president is a pathological liar. He <laughs> lies about everything all the time. Lying is his resting condition. And I think it's because of that we don't know what to believe.
0: So I'm going to um, get our guest to pause real quick, and that's a nice point for us to come back to after break. Um, but we do have to take a brief break. I want to encourage you not to go away. When we come back, we'll continue our current National Roundtable conversation, and hopefully you will join us at with your thoughts at 410-319-8888. Or tweet us at Mark Steiner or email us at talk at steinershow.org. We're back and want to continue our national news roundtable. I have in the um, studio with me Professor ER Ship who is a associate professor of journalism here at Morgan State University. I also have my guests on the phone, Dr. Anne McCarthy, who is the dean of the business school at Hamline University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as the esteemed Bill Fletcher Jr., who is a senior scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies. So thank you so much for continuing to stay with us, and we want to continue this conversation. One of the stories that I heard um, coming in this morning on Democracy Now! Uh, actually was a a discussion about both Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and um, son-in-law Jared Kushner and raising the question of who actually is in charge of foreign affairs here in the U.S. based on the access that Jared Kushner has received and some of the conversations or meetings that he brokers uh, versus, of course, Rex Tillerson in his official capacity of being that voice for the United States. And I wanted to get a reaction from um, my I guess, to find out who they see as being in charge. Um,
3: Bill, let's start with you. I don't think that anyone is quite in charge. <laughs> and, and, and I think that what, what we have to notice, there's a certain style of leadership and management that I've encountered in numerous organizations where the top person is comfortable with confusion beneath them and where there is unclarity about people's roles and responsibilities, so that you have a situation where whoever is left standing wins. Mm. I actually think that that's Trump's style of management. I don't think that he is particularly interested in clarifying roles and responsibilities. I think that he's more interested in letting the people beneath them fight it out, And that ultimately he'll make certain decisions. So right now when it comes to foreign policy, let's see, we have Nikki Haley in the United Nations, Mm -hmm. Tillerson in in the uh, State Department, we have Kushner, and we have Trump. And at any one moment, three of them will be articulating something different than the fourth. Mm -hmm. It's it's. Absurd, but I think that at the end of the line, I think you have to, or in the end of the day, we have to say, yeah, it, it's Trump. That's the person to pay attention to.
2: Except you don't know when to pay attention to him. <laughs> Correct. Because he can contradict himself within a matter of tweets, as we keep seeing. Uh, and he, one of the uh, things of concern, I suppose, to people watching this is that. Uh, many of the key positions in the State Department have yet to be filled. right? And that's one Uh, of
0: Rex Tillerson's, um, I mean, he's very subtle with it, but he seems to be disturbed by that as well.
2: Right, because that that ties his hands, you know, when it's time to work out details of some of these treaties or what have you. So you saw a bit of that, I guess, when uh, President Trump met with President Putin and seemed to be... Uh, you know, um, good fellows. But Tillerson then had to meet with the Ukrainian leaders to assure them that the United States was not going to um, stop supporting their efforts against the Russian powers. So it it's a tricky thing that Tillerson has to do. And sometimes he says one thing and the president comes out and undermines and him right yes, away. Contradicts so, them. so it makes it difficult for him on the world stage. Uh, perhaps at some point people will start saying, well, uh, we don't know who to listen to and we're going to ignore all of you.
1: <laughs> well, I, So my take on this, my uncle served as a U.S. House of Representative for 22 terms. And he used to say, presidents and cabinet secretaries come and go, but the true public civil servants are there, you know, decade, year after year, decade after decade. So I think we should hope <laughs> that... There may be confusion at the top, but the people who really make things happen and really have the relationships are there on the ground maintaining the kinds of relationships that we need to be have maintained despite the chaos that's happening at the presidential level.
2: We can hope that, but at some point, if everybody's afraid that if they take certain actions, they can be tweeted into oblivion, then that's going to have an effect even at the lowest levels of negotiations i think
1: that's a good so a couple of months ago remember when they sent the administration sent out that questionnaire to the epa employees right part of the whole, the thing that gets me frustrated about this constant attention on whether the russians hacked our election or not is that the that we're losing sight of the crit whatever happened to that questionnaire were people who had been long serving in the epa were they let go are they under scrutiny? Is something else, some other harassment going on? But the media has taken their eye off of that ball. Why don't you remind people what the questionnaire was about? They were asking, you know, were you, did you believe in climate change? Did you not believe in climate change? Did you believe that human beings were the cause of climate change? There were, it was a very long questionnaire, and many people didn't want to fill it out, but they felt that they had to <laughs> or lose their job, and we don't know what happened. And I'm going to sort of go on a tangent here because... Earlier, um, Kimberly said something about our intelligence agencies. Meanwhile, quietly, Sinclair Broadcasting, which is headquartered in Maryland, has been buying up local TV stations. And they are producing kind of what you would call the the script for the anchors to use of the TV stations they've now been buying. And part of that script is calling into question the alleged FBI investigation, mm-hmm. or the FBI is again out after the president. Mm-hmm. I mean, in very, and not even that obvious, in very subtle ways. And and we're losing sight of the ways in which, at the grassroots, things are happening because we're so distracted by this man who keeps on tweeting that we're not paying attention to the core. I have to get my best news from, what's it, last week, or last week tonight with John, what's Oliver. Oliver. <laughs> so, I, I think a I lot, lot of people wanna, are doing that I just
3: want to jump in a second um, I think that I, I agree very much with what Dr. McCarthy was saying but here's a minor difference I don't think that the Russian hack is a, is a hack issue is a distraction I think that it's an incomplete part of a larger picture about what's been happening to undermine even the pretense of democracy so you have the issue of the uh, uh, misinformation, what's called black propaganda, um, that affected the election. In addition to that, and more importantly, I would argue, was the voter suppression that took place over the last year uh, that reduced the eligible uh, voters, and that was getting very little attention. And then there's what you were just describing, which is the further steps in the centralization and rightward shift. Of the established media. Mm-hmm. And so, that your point about people being distracted by the tweets, I agree with. I think that one of the things that has happened is that many of us are so unsettled with this guy in the White House who can push a button and vaporize the planet that we don't pay attention to the rest of the agenda that's being moved by the right, uh, whether it's in Congress or whether it's uh the media centralization you were just describing
1: exactly
0: Yeah. And so just a recent um, article that Washington Post posted on its website um, seems to tie in some of the points that all of uh, the guests are raising, which is a piece on um, Comey and suggesting that he leaked confidential information um, in his memos. And and I should correct myself in saying that the Washington Post is not saying that, but they are responding to um, a new segment that appeared on um, Fox and Friends for thing this morning during its 6 o'clock hour. And so interestingly enough, again, going back to the tweets that uh, Donald Trump often is engaged in, at 6.32 this morning, Fox and Friends tweeted out that a report accuses material James uh, James Comey leaked to a friend contained top secret information. Just eight minutes after, at 6.40 this morning, Donald Trump tweeted, James Comey leaked an all caps, ca- classified information to the media. That is so illegal. And it has continued. It is It, it has become a news story itself since then, because there have been a number of pundits to chime in regarding this issue. And in fact, one of them was Kellyanne Conway herself, who also refers to this as a big bombshell. And the Washington Post article is suggesting that this, in fact, might be another one of those news stories being given to us to take a our eyes off of some of the more significant issues happening in um, our country right now.
2: I think that's true. But, you know, one of the things we have to uh, we can't lose sight of is that while a certain segment of the population is following these tweets by tweets by tweets from uh, President Trump and following closely some of these questions that we've been raising this morning, out in the real world, people aren't as obsessed with all of this. And so what may be more frightening is the kind of thing that Dr. McCarthy said that Sinclair uh, Broadcasting is doing. People are getting their local news fed to them in such a way that it's totally disconnected from what we think we know to be the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that other world um, is is not what we we're talking about this morning. I don't think people are aware of of some of the contradictions, and if they see contradictions, they say, well, we all forget things here and there, or they come up with some excuse mm, to explain mm-hmm. it, but they aren't getting the Trump that we're talking about.
1: Correct. They're not. The rural farmers and miners and whatever else, you know, they actually are probably aren't even on Twitter. That's correct. <laughs> but they know their local anchorman or woman and they trust that person. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is uh, raising concerns. I mean, I think those are all valid points. Uh, although, I mean, Donald Trump has quite a following on Twitter. So there are a number of people who are paying attention and liking but and the, commenting But they're on. only
2: seeing his tweets, right. though. So when he reports this morning, <laughs> uh, and now I think we're supposed to be considering these tweets to be official presidential pronouncements at least some Even days. though
0: they're not from the official the White House, I right, know, but right.
2: somewhere a couple of weeks ago, there was some discussion that they should be considered that. But but they are seeing what he says. They're not necessarily seeing what the Washington Post said to counter that or what anybody else said to counter that. They're seeing what the president said. And so that's the, all this other stuff that we're talking about is noise and has no relevance to many people.
1: You know, President Obama said a wonderful thing in his farewell speech, and that was that we're all beginning to increasingly live in our own bubbles where we talk to the people who agree with us. And, and he asked us as a nation to do something about that. And his first, you know, start with talking to a stranger. Mm-hmm. Get to know that person. Understand where they're coming from. And I wish more of us would take those words to heart. That's too I, much work. I <laughs> thought about that
2: this morning. <laughs> this is not, I was not
1: <laughs> new. This is mm-hmm. not new.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: What's new is that we have the technology that makes this instantaneous.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: People have lived in their own world. They, if you if you look at the kinds of small town newspapers that exist, the uh, right wing radio going, uh, you know, think about Father Coughlin in the 1930s. Um, this is not new. We're acting as if this is a civilized country <laughs> that has been very tolerant of multiple points of view. Think about the Spanish American War and the role of the Hearst press in driving the US into that war there is a history to that and it's a history that we simply cannot forget
2: but and most I'm, people I think, have never known it that's right. the problem we have in this country is people are Willfully ignorant, I think, of that history.
3: Well, but I appreciate
0: Bill's uh, Bill's comment because uh, we've been on the air before, and he's he's pushed back on my my stance of you know we've lost civility. And he said, "Well, where was where it? Where
2: was it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like make America great again. Like when was it great, <laughs> and, and what was my position in it when it was great? You know, we do have to have a reality check periodically.
1: Absolutely, and so and there are those of us who know it but have forgotten it and need to be reminded.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think this off air, uh, Professor Shipp and I were again uh, linking some of what we are experiencing right now very much um, uh, to the complicity of what it appears the media is doing around anything uh, Donald Trump. And so it reminded me almost immediately of that recent um, interaction that happened last week in, well, may have been a week or so ago, that happened in one of the uh, news conferences that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was uh, responding to a series of questions, and she made a few comments, one being directly saying this constant barrage of fake news that the president was um, having lodged at him. And it was, in fact, uh, Brian Karam, who's the editor of the Montgomery County Sentinel, which is a small (laughs) newspaper outside of uh, Washington, D.C., who was bold enough. And I am using that word strongly that he was bold enough to interrupt Sanders and to say that she was actually fanning the flames against the media by those types of comments. And I want I wonder if you all want to chime in on how is the media handling uh, what we hear from the White House and are we complicit or are we finding ways to demonstrate resistance?
3: Bill, you want to start? Both. I'd say both. I think that the mainstream media was complicit in the rise of Donald Trump. That had the mainstream media, when uh, when his campaign was getting off the ground, or even earlier with the birther movement, had they come down like a ton of bricks, I think that there would have been, we'd be looking at a different situation. So I think that there's been complicity. I think that Trump was looked at as an interesting means to increase ratings, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big mistake. At the same time, there is pushback within both the mainstream media and alternative media, and, I, and that gives me uh, grounds for hope. I mean, you have uh, institutions like the Washington Post and the New York Times in the mainstream category that have really gone out of their way to expose the, the lies and duplicity of this administration. You see a lot online uh, in, in the alternative media, and I think that that's going to be, that's very important. What I think we have to understand, though, is that for the core Republican voters, and, uh, and particularly the core uh, Trump voters, none of this means anything, precisely because of that bubble that you were describing earlier this delusional bubble within which that segment of the electorate operates. So the critical thing is going to be not trying to win over those folks, but to win over people that are more in the middle Mm -hmm. uh, that actually can be influenced, because those in the delusional bubble will only shift when that bubble itself collapses. And so what is that bubble, though? The bubble is a self generating mechanism that uh... that creates um, a a logic of irrationality and basically what it does is that it reiterates false information it uh... it denies the ability for alternative explanations and uh... and it is something that that is strategically i would argue um, situated in not just in communities but in, in places where people hang out like we, you the notice that, you know uh, in sports bars what do you see you see fox uh, in many establishments there's a presence of fox the so things uh, things like those like that they basically help to create an environment where alternative actual information and alternative points of view are are simply inaccessible and that's what I'm saying the people that are trapped in those bubbles right now we're not going to be winning we we don't have access to them
0: yeah
2: and it's it's uh it's that but it's also the fact that they are being told by someone in whom they believe, not to trust those alternative sources. So they don't necessarily know that those sources exist, and where they do know about it, they're being told that they're untrustworthy there. I'm encouraged by the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post, among others, now have um, fact-checking squads, and they regularly will point out where the president has not told the truth. Uh, Or has flip-flopped. Or has changed his mind in many ways. So a certain segment of the population now knows that, but that core group that you were describing will never know or trust that information. What's interesting, too, is an attempt by some media to educate all of us uh, on what the other side is saying. So I noticed that the Times now has a regular feature where they uh, run uh, excerpts from conservative or right-wing commentary on whatever the particular issue is i wish more people would do that uh, and at least give all of us an opportunity to see um, that there are some some different points of view one other thing i'm hoping that this healthcare reality Mm -hmm. would be one thing that bursts some of the bubbles that are there and when people can realize that um As uh, Paul Krugman, I think, is saying in his latest column that you really can't take away any of the major portions of the Affordable Care Act without destroying the whole thing. And I think as more and more people who are Trump supporters and also dependent upon health care realize that what they're being fed is not the truth, uh, maybe they will be willing to start considering some alternative points of view.
0: So I just want to go back, um, Ann, and I'm coming to you um, first. I want to go back because I do want, I think, um, Brian Karam's point of being one of the few Who has pushed back in such a very significant way because it does appear that many journalists I mean the few occasions in which we do have access to visibly see what's Mm -hmm. happening in the news conference um, he oftentimes you note many reporters wanting to ask more questions and looking for ways to um, raise those questions but not necessarily pushing back and one of the direct quotes that um, one of the statements that he made during his pushback is he said to her. Um You have been elected to serve for four years at least. There's no option other than that. We're here to ask you questions. You're here to provide those answers. And what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who will look at it and say, see, once again, the president's right. And everybody else out here is fake media. And everybody in this room is only trying to do their job. And your response?
1: Well, I agree with Bill that this—the media could have done something different, other mm-hmm. than treating Donald Trump as a way to sell newspapers and garner, you know, supporters for commercial airtime. Because they, in some ways, became hooked on him like crack cocaine. <laughs> now, I will say this for the media, and I'm—and it's—it's. It's, just like Donald President Trump had his first hundred days, the media had its first hundred days. And I think that it just d- collectively and individually did not know how to respond to somebody who was acting so irrationally. And, and, and they kept on thinking, hey, He's going to start being presidential. Somebody's going to get a hold of his, you know, keep him on point or keep him on, you know. Keep him off Twitter. Keep him off Twitter. And it hasn't happened. So I think there's a regrouping right now. And perhaps the reporter from Montgomery County is the first sign of that regrouping. And and the New York Times with its, I wouldn't say balance, but at least letting us know what the right, the ultra conservative right side of the country is saying, we can't have a discussion with the ultra-right side if we don't know what they're talking about because we just talk about the same thing that we always do. Hmm. And so I think it seems to me that the media is beginning to understand it's a different playing field and we have to have different responses to him because how we've dealt with every president so far is not going to work with this one.
2: But there's this desire to have respect for the office, uh, and and <laughs> so that sometimes hinders what you can do and what you can say. So the Montgomery County advertisers, is that the name of the paper? Um, uh, Centennial. Centennial. Uh, well, that reporter could have said something there because he had less to lose perhaps right. than the big boys and girls in the room who have to be there every day. And so they're somehow trying to be buddy-buddy to some extent so they can get inside The tent, and then uh, at the same time, they want to show that they too are upset with the way they're being treated. Yeah,
0: so you have CNN, who oftentimes is standing outside of the room, right, not having access to sit in the room, but wanting to still be present and there to be on top of breaking whatever the mm-hmm. story story is that comes out of that room. Mm-hmm. And so instead, there isn't this opportunity for so many uh, reporters to say, we're not participating in this. This is not how we're doing news and rather, they sit hoping to be that news Called
3: organization.
0: <laughs> Got your hand over there. Please call on me. Please call on me. Hoping
3: and what to they be. Should do, what should they should think about is doing a version of what Clint Eastwood did in the Republican Convention when he had that chair <laughs> that, was, uh, that no one was sitting there. Right, right. And I think that the media needs to do a version of that. It basically needs to demonstrate to the public that this is an administration That is shutting down on democracy, that is shutting down on the truth, is lying systematically, will not respond to legitimate questions that are being posed. And sometimes that has to be demonstrated visually.
0: But I think the fear is, I mean, I think Professor Ship is right, that everyone is worried about whether or not they will miss out on something. And so even if even if there was this opportunity for the press to walk out and leave Fox News and Brett Bark (laughs) in the room, what then does that leave us
3: with in terms of access? This is a big planet there's a lot that's going on
1: absolutely and
3: and one of the things that i find really unsettling is when i turn on liberal media like msnbc and cnn and i hear the same story repeated again again and yet again for hours (laughs) just different interpretations and there's so much else going on on this planet.
2: That is very true. Right?
3: Yeah. And, and, and we, get, we get stuck. So they're worried about getting access to this idiocy coming out of the White House. Because it makes money, though, Bill. Right. But there are other things that
1: can make money. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Agreed. So I would say this, because I know we're it was towards the end of our hour. This reminds me of a, a marriage on the rocks. And neither side can heal the marriage if they're intent on proving to the other side that they're wrong and it's not about each other's sort of intell- it's not about the intellectual capability it's about the heart capability of understanding where the other side is coming from emotionally and realizing that you know, feelings are neither right or wrong, they're feelings, and if we don't acknowledge each other and how we're feeling, there is no hope for us to be able to get to the other side. And and when I'm saying that is because if you listen to some of the people who live in rural America, they, a couple of years ago, one of them said famously, keep your government hands off my Social Security. Well. <laughs> They don't understand that that is government, <laughs> but you could substitute anything there. Keep your hands off of my Medicaid, keep your hands off of my Medicare, keep your hands off of my farm support they don't under rural America does not understand the extent to which they are subsidized and right. helped by the federal government at the same time they're anti federal government, and so something is broken there and and I'm going to go back. I think Bill said it. It will be interesting to see what happens with the health care bill because this health care bill will kill rural health care.
0: And that's Mm -hmm. what I wanted to end with um, is to get a statement from each of you that now that Congress is back and ready to work before uh, their summer break, um, what do you think is going to happen with health (laughs) care?
1: I don't think it'll go anywhere. So well, they're going to be stagnated. I think that there will be enough Republican defectors, and they will not get enough uh, Democratic defect or, you know, converts to get a majority.
2: But you know what's really interesting now is uh, McConnell, Senator McConnell, is now saying that he may have to stoop so low as to actually talk to Democrats. <laughs> and come up with a bipartisan way forward. Now, isn't that kind of ridiculous (laughs) that that wasn't the starting point in the first place? But maybe we'll begin to see something because, as you mentioned, about 10 Republicans now, I think, are wavering.
3: Yes. Well, if all of your friends— I'm definitely afraid that the Republicans will pick Trump's option. Of just simply at this point. Repealing. repealing.
2: But McConnell has rejected that himself, I think. So that's going to be interesting to see if maybe a, this is one thing on which they take a stand that's a bit different from what the president is saying.
1: And even the House, is the House, the reps in the House are not willing to just repeal at this point. Not a majority, at least.
2: Yeah, why well, go through this agony again? Once you're in the middle of it now, just do the whole thing one time.
1: And
0: what will what will voters voters say to that? I mean, they well, will We're hearing
2: be... what they're saying in some of these uh, town halls. Well, Very that's few. Why so many
1: Republicans are wavering. They went right. home over the uh-huh. July Fourth weekend and got an earful.
2: Right. Those who were brave enough to have town hall meetings, (laughs) some went into hiding, and that's become news, too.
1: (laughs) So we don't see
0: anything um, happening with health care before August. Nothing
2: definitive, for sure.
0: This will not be passed. I mean that we're talking about something that we had hoped, um, or at least the Republicans in Senate hoped, would be passed before the July Fourth break. And this, now we're saying hmm. that's gone kaput, and we're even further away from an opportunity to pass. Not
3: only that, I, I only bet on sure things, and at this point, I'm not prepared to say that something can't pass. These the 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 lack of honor and integrity when a part of these Republicans knows no bounds.
2: They do sound good on the Sunday talk shows, though. I mean, (laughs) Senator McCain is all over the place most of the time, but when he's on the Sunday talk shows, he's the one who sounds like the voice of reason among the Republican Party. And then when it's time to do something, it's like, okay, Senator, which senator woke up today? (laughs) uh, So uh, you're, you're right. We can't for sure say that those 10 senators who are now more or less saying they're not willing to vote for this, maybe they will find something in the negotiation strategy to persuade them. But I don't think anything will happen before the summer vacation.
1: Okay, I would have agreed with ER if we were talking about the House and the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party there. But those two entities do not have as much power in the Senate. And I think that there are reasonable middle of the road senators that will not vote for this Bill. Mm.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank my guests for joining me this hour discussing the National News Roundup. Dr. Ann McCarthy, fr- the Dean of the Business School at Hamline University in Minneapolis. Thanks so much for being with us. Of course, uh, Bill Fletcher, Jr., Senior Scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies and also Editorial Board Member of BlackCommentator.com. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. And of course, Professor E.R. Shipp, who is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and journalist-in-residence and a Associate Professor of Journalism here at Morgan State University. The Marks, I want to remind you that the Remar- Mark Steiner Show is brought to you by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information at www.meq.com. I'm Kimberly Moffitt, guest hosting for Mark Steiner today. Day. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care.